Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. The U.S. economy grows for the first time this year. But does it mean we're no longer facing a recession? We have analysis. The International Energy Agency lays out its plan to hit net zero emissions by 2050. It wants to double investment in renewable energy from $2 trillion to $4 trillion. And shares of tech giant Meta plunging today. What's behind it? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. With the midterm election just less than two weeks away, today we take a look at how inflation, the number one issue on voters' mind, is impacting who Americans are going to vote for. Zachary Goldman reports. My cell phone is disconnected because I can't pay the bill. Well, there's a lot of struggles going on now in this country with uh, the food. It's outrageous on all the prices. These are the voices of struggling Americans just two weeks ahead of decisive congressional midterm elections, and they reflect the bitter toll of higher prices for groceries, gas, and rent, brought on by what Reuters polling has found to be the number one issue facing voters, inflation. The everyday necessities that people take for granted, you can't afford them anymore. And when you're stuck with nothing, what do you do? Chrissy Zeffield is a 38-year-old mother of three. She is between jobs and sleeping in her friend's basement. Amid these hard times, she compares them to memories of better days under a Republican president. Our gas prices were down, food costs were great, shelves were actually stocked in the grocery stores. Record inflation has undermined Democratic President Joe Biden's approval ratings, and Democrats are worried they could see Republicans take over both chambers of Congress in November. Daniel Ferrales is a 72-year-old retiree. He told Reuters he now regularly collects groceries from a Chicago food pantry, something that began during the pandemic and now persists because of inflation. He said he's planning to vote for a Democrat in November and worries what Republicans might do if they control Congress. There's nothing wrong with the Republicans, Republicans, but they don't seem to be wanting to give up anything. They just seem to want to keep it off for themselves. No, it's kind of hard, but we make do with it. Chanel Davis is a 46-year-old who cares for both her children and grandchildren. She spoke to Reuters at a free clothing giveaway in Chicago. Her granddaughter was able to find a pair of second-hand sneakers. And my grandbaby was happy for her little pair of shoes. And she's on the phone with her mother now saying, look what I got, mommy, look what I got. Davis is undecided about how she'll vote, but she understands it's her responsibility to cast a ballot and make her voice heard. Get out there and vote, everybody. But Zeffield, who calls herself a political conservative and lives in a swing district, told Reuters she's unlikely to vote. She has other priorities. Right now, she is saving what little money she has to put toward car insurance, a new tire, and a tank of gas to drive and see her kids, who are living with their father. I can't even pick them up to take them for ice cream. (laughs) Just something as small as that. I miss them so much. New U.S. GDP numbers out today. The U.S. economy grew 2.6% in the third quarter. A large part of the growth was because we exported more than we bought from other countries. Think energy exports to Europe. But today's reports show domestic demand was the weakest in two years. Final sales to private domestic purchasers edged up only 0.1%. This is the slowest rise since the second quarter of 2020. Today's GDP offered evidence that the economy is not in a recession, but some analysts warn that the risks of a downturn have increased as the Fed doubles down on rate hikes. 
But there's also a chance the Fed could get more dovish after this report. Earlier today, I talked to a market expert and got his take on the number. And joining us here is Jim Urio. He's the managing director at TJM Institutional Services. Now, Jim, on the GDP numbers today, is this something to celebrate? No, I don't think it is. This is was a really interesting number because if you look at the headline, 2.6 was higher than expected and takes us out of those string of negative GDP numbers that we had that were insinuating that we're in some sort of recession. Now, if you dig down to this number and you teased out exports, government spending, and inventories and got down to what you, we call the final sales to private domestic purchasers, that part of the number is almost zero, is up 0.1. Now, when I first started looking at that, I, I was like, is this just a classic example of someone trying to tease the number to get the conclusion that they thought ahead of time, which is because I do think we're in a slowdown, possibly even uh, coming into recession. But then I realized that the bond market agrees with me. The initial reaction in, in the Fed funds curve was going into the number, we were pricing in a 75 basis point hike at the November meeting, and then a 50-50 chance of either a 50 or 75 basis point hike at the December meeting. After the number, the chances of just a 50% hike at the December meeting went up to 60%. So even the bond market looked at that number and thought it was a case for the Fed being a little dovish, not hawkish. So the, the bond market thought that number wasn't very good either. And, and this number, is it an indica indicator of strength or weakness in, in the economy? So I, I think ultimately it's an indicator of current mild strength, but an indication of future weakness. And that's just to be expectable when you think of, expected when you think of how quickly rates have gone up and how the lag effect of rates is going to happen. Another point I'd like to point out too is that the trade part of it um, the export part of it was extremely strong and accounted for most of the 2.6 gain. And when you look at the way the dollar has increased over the last year, you have to think that there's an expiration date on that strength, and that will quickly soon come out of it because of the dollar strength. Although Biden says that this is further evidence, evidence that our economic recovery is continue, continuing to power forward. What, what's your reaction to that? I think... I, you know, he's a politician. Politicians have to say what they say. But the reality is this, is that everybody who trades and everybody who understands economics knows that there's a tremendous lag effect to rate hikes or rate eases, for that matter. So if we agree that the, the lag effect is six to nine months, and we also agree that the Federal Reserve is going to keep tighten until they see definitive evidence that they've slowed down demand enough to control inflation, that will mean almost by definition that they have gone too far or that they had got to the right level of hikes six months before that current condition. So for him to say that it looks like things are all rosy, I think is disingenuous. Again, politicians say what they say, uh, but I think when you think of the lag effect of rate hikes, and all you have to do is look into the real estate market and think about mortgages going from under 3% to over 7%, essentially 10 months time, that's going to take a long time to have an effect, but it's going to have a profound effect. And, and put a slowdown into the real estate market. And then you extend that to all other sectors, and that's what we're going to see in the next couple of quarters. Now, I, I understand you own a restaurant uh, in Illinois. I want to know, what are your customers, how are they feeling about the economy? This is interesting because, and I have friends in the restaurant business as well, too. And the restaurant business is still doing pretty well. I, I think 
after the situation we've had over the couple of years where people were locked down and people were denied experiences, that people are willing to borrow and spend. And credit card spending is going up, personal savings rate is going down. Our restaurant is an upscale pub. So I think if, if like the McDonald's model is that no matter where the economy goes, we kind of fit in there somewhere. But somewhat what we're seeing, I believe, is people, foot traffic being the same, but people making different decisions and starting to spend less money per visit, which is, it just begun in the last couple of weeks, but it's something I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on. Do you feel a, a recession is still on the table? I think a recession is, is uh, imminent. I believe that it, it almost has to happen because the Fed is not going to stop until, until they see inflation crater. And really the only way I think that resolves itself is by destroying demand enough that brings us into a recession. All right. Thank you very much, Jim. Pleasure having you on today. Thank you. And on Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow gained 194 points or six tenths of a percent. S&P 500 lost 23 points or six tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq fell 178 points or one and six tenths of a percent. And Elon Musk has a message for Twitter advertisers. He doesn't want the platform to become a quote free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. Ads are Twitter's main source of revenue. Advertisers worry that Musk, in his promotion of free speech, he might stop moderating content altogether. But Musk today said he wants Twitter to be a place for a healthy debate and no violence where everyone is welcome. Musk and Twitter have until tomorrow to close the deal. The world's richest man changed his Twitter profile to Chief Twit yesterday suggesting they'll make the deadline. Shares of Facebook parent Meta dropped a whopping 25% today, with $80 billion wiped off its market cap. The company reported earnings late yesterday and was not good. NTD's Charm Marshall has the details. Meta has a number of unique problems for giant tech company. After it announced earnings that missed analyst expectations, Meta shares dropped over 20%. They're in a serious battle with Apple, multiple digital media uphill battles, and it's transforming its business at a pretty rough time. In the recent earnings call, Mark Zuckerberg shared Meta's focus. In 2023, uh, we're going to focus our investments on a small number of high-priority growth areas. So that means that some teams will grow meaningfully, but uh, most other teams will stay flat or shrink over the next year. Now, here's the part of the call where Zuckerberg sounded a little less confident. So it's... it's um, it's hard to have like a simple, um, you know, we're going to do this one thing and that's going to solve all the issues. I mean, there's, there's macroeconomic issues. There's, there's a lot of competition. There's, um, you know, ads challenges, especially coming from Apple. In the battle of Apple versus Meta, here's what's happening. Apple quietly updated its App Store rules to require that iOS developers use in-app purchases, which gives Apple a 30% commission from the app's revenue. And if that's not enough, Apple is also investing in virtual reality and augmented reality. They're set up to be a major competitor against one of Meta's biggest investments. For Meta's future, Zuckerberg is looking to further leverage artificial intelligence, and he believes their messaging apps are a fairly under-monetized resource. He mentioned their click-to-click -click ads are worth $9 billion. He also said he believes they can build a substantial-sized business around paid messaging. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Is the first. 
A top Democrat lawmaker says former President Trump was right about TikTok being a threat to national security. Senator Mark Warner is head of the Senate Intelligence Committee. During a visit to Australia, he said Donald Trump was right on TikTok years ago. Warner said, if your kids are on TikTok, China is able to have a lot of influence on them. And that's a bigger threat than any kind of armed conflict. TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance. Trump tried to shut down the app in 2020 because of its ties to the Chinese Communist Party. But federal courts blocked his executive order. Now, Biden's team is doing its own review of TikTok to evaluate the threat. And Germany has agreed to let China have partial ownership of a major shipping port. The deal, of course, not without controversy. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer. A controversial deal is getting a resolution inside one of America's strongest allies in Europe. Germany has been weighing whether to let a Chinese shipping giant take a stake in the country's largest seaport, called the Port of Hamburg. The result? The German cabinet on Wednesday approved an investment by China's Costco for a nearly 25% stake in one of the port's main terminals. The Chinese side originally wanted a 35% stake, worth over $60 million. The Chinese buyer is a subsidiary of China's state-owned Costco shipping, which supports China's navy. It already holds stake in Europe's two largest ports. One is located in the Netherlands, another in Belgium. The port of Hamburg in Germany is the third largest. It's also one of Europe's biggest trade hubs with China. In 2020, almost a third of the containers in that port came from or are headed to China. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz favors the deal. It's not about selling the port, as in Zeebrugge or Piraeus. At most, it's about a share. It's about a share in one terminal, as is the case in some Western European ports. But several ministries are opposing it over security concerns. That includes economy, defense, foreign and interior. Overall, it is important that we have learned that dependencies on countries that may then play their own interests into these dependencies and then want to blackmail us are no longer just an abstract phenomenon. But look at gas in Russia, are a reality in this world. We should not repeat these mistakes. German logistics firm HHLA is the entity that would sell the stake to the Chinese company. It noted earlier that the Costco subsidiary would have no right to make any significant decisions about its port, given it would only hold stake in a terminal. Supporters of the deal say it will allow the Hamburg port to keep pace with its rivals, which are also vying for Chinese trade. China's interest in seaports doesn't stop at Europe. Chinese companies also hold stake in the ports in five U.S. cities, Miami, Houston, Long Beach, Los Angeles and Seattle and other almost 100 ports around the globe. Although those ports are for commercial use, the Chinese military have visited over 30 of them. And British oil and gas company Shell announced third quarter earnings more than doubled compared to last year. They jumped from over $4 billion to $9.5 billion. Rising oil prices are largely responsible for the dramatic improvement in Q3 earnings. Q3 Brent oil price increased by 37% versus the same period in 2021. The windfall earnings also come with a windfall tax. Shell will have to pay a 25% energy tax in the UK. Shell CEO says the energy tax is sensible when many vulnerable people are suffering from high energy costs. It is a societal reality uh, that governments 
uh, rightly so, and for the right moral reasons, help the most vulnerable in society, uh, and that they will be looking at companies like us, who benefit, of course, from the volatility and the prices that we see, to fund the programs that they are rolling out. I think we have to accept it and we have to embrace that. He also says more taxes are expected. Shell is currently in talks with countries including the Netherlands, Germany and Italy about special taxes for next year. The International Energy Agency just came out with this year's World Energy Outlook report. This is the IEA's annual flagship report, and its recommendations impact government policies worldwide. The IEA is an intergovernmental organization with 31 member countries, most of which are major world economies, including the U.S. And in the report, the focus is all on the green agenda. It paints a pathway toward net zero carbon emissions by 2050. The IEA says that government investment plays a big role here. The U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, um, the European Union uh, increasing discussion of meeting and ratcheting up ambition in the fifth or 55 towards Repower EU, Japan, but also increasing ambition in, in emerging uh, economies on solar, on EVs, is pushing this uh, clean energy transformation and accelerating it. Uh, would this be enough to be on track with a 1.5 degree trajectory? Not yet. We would need to double that number to hit 4 trillion. And where we see most of the job to be done is in advance in, in emerging economies. So, in other words, the IEA wants the world to spend far, far more money on renewable energy to hit its climate-related goals. And a major part of the goal, we noticed, is getting rid of all new sales of internal combustion engine vehicles by 2035. Those are vehicles that are powered by gasoline, which are most of the cars you see on the street today. The IEA says that only around 10% of all cars sold were electric last year. So then, how plausible is it really to have that number move up dr dramatically in a little over a decade? The CEO of business consultancy Capture, Bob Bilbrick, doesn't believe it's even possible. The International Energy Agency, I think, is, uh, has a kind of a pipe dream here. <laughs> there, there's absolutely no way. First off, the current electric grid will not support that many EV vehicles. It just it cannot happen. It, that's if they could produce that many EV vehicles by that time. And um, EV vehicles do not have a zero emission footprint. Um, it takes tons of rare earths to build lithium batteries and all the wonderful uh, bells and whistles of an EV vehicle. And that uh, increased mining of rare earths would cause environmental issues that aren't even being calculated. And our reporters dug through the IEA's report, which was over 500 pages. They didn't find material related to the environmental harm caused by mining minerals. The report, though, does acknowledge mineral demand will grow, but its focus is more on mining prices. The IEA predicts fossil fuel demands in the world's advanced economies could peak by 2030. Oil prices were up slightly today. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. We read every email. Still to come after the break, Peloton, the latest company to distance itself from Kanye West. It's because of its controversial comments. And Ford hitting the brakes on its plan for fully autonomous vehicles. Why? That and more coming up on NTD Business.
and welcome back. Peloton slams the brake on Kanye West's catalog. The exercise company says it has indefinitely paused using music from the rapper who recently made controversial remarks. Peloton instructor Alex Toussaint didn't specifically name West, but he said in a YouTube video that he doesn't support hate speech. He said he won't play, quote, that artist in any more of his classes. Nearly 2,000 Peloton classes were using the music before, according to the company's website. Those videos, however, will not be taken off the platform, but they won't be recommended either in its algorithms. A number of other companies as well have recently cut ties with West because of his statements. And Ford says it's done with self-driving cars. Executives said they don't see a path to profitability on fully autonomous vehicles. Now their focus will be on partially automated assist systems. The move highlights the difficulty and costs of making self-driving cars. Ford's chief technology officer said high-tech laser and radar sensors on autonomous vehicles can't be mass-produced or be made affordable. A fine dining restaurant for dogs has opened in San Francisco. Canine customers can feast on a tasting menu that includes fancy dishes like steak tartare with quail eggs. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Doug just opened up in San Francisco's Mission District. It caters to hungry dogs and owners who want to spoil their four-legged friends. When we make our food, it is a process. Um, it is very time-consuming. There's a lot of technique. There's a lot of method and detail to what we do. Um, our, our pastries, for example, take uh, about two days on average to make. I know they're going to be eaten in two seconds. Doge claims to offer the world's first fine dining tasting menu for dogs. For $75 per pup, pooches get a multiple course meal featuring dishes like chicken skin waffles and filet mignon steak tartare with quail eggs. It also includes a mimosa and a treat for the owner. Our tasting menu is more of an experience, right? Uh, it, it's uh, as much an experience for the dogs as, as it is for the owners, uh, for the humans. I, I don't know sometimes who has more uh, fun. Some critics are outraged over the price point for the pets, but that doesn't turn off customers like year-old miniature dachshund Mason and his owner. I wanted to celebrate him. He's so special to me. He's my poor little child. and. Uh, this is like the perfect place to do a really nice celebration. We're foodies too, so I guess he is too now. <laughs> San Francisco loves dogs, and some people are willing to pay a premium to treat their pets. Silver Labrador Whiskey is enjoying some soup. It's probably not something that we would do all the time, but you know, it's his eighth birthday, so we kind of felt like we could splurge. The chef says he consults with a veterinarian to ensure all of Doug's meals are safe and contribute to a balanced diet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now take a look at this painting. It could go for as much as $35 million at auction. It's called Salome presented with a severed head of St. John the Baptist. It's a gruesome biblical scene painted by Flemish painter Peter Paul Rubens around 1609. In the Bible, Salome is a young woman who requests the preacher's head after he's executed for condemning her mother's marriage. In Reuben's scene, Salome is presented with the head on a platter, his body at her feet. At one point, the piece is believed to have been lost for more than two centuries. Now, however, it's the star in a rare collection of paintings, and they'll be up for auction in January. Are you a puzzle lover? Well, Costco is about to challenge you. The big box retail store is selling what it dubs to be the world's largest jigsaw puzzle. 
It's made up of 60,000 pieces, and the final product ends up being 29 feet long and 8 feet wide. To make it easier to tackle, the jigsaw can be divided into 60 smaller puzzles. It features a map of the world with different famous landmarks. The price tag on this giant jigsaw is about $600. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.